Judges chapter 7 is where our uh, text will come from this morning. As you're turning there, um, we'll set a little bit of background for where we're headed to this morning. Have you ever been in a place where you felt like you were facing overwhelming and insurmountable odds? You ever been in that place in life? I remember one year we were playing 10 and under All-Stars. And we traveled down to South Alabama. I believe we were in Dothan, Alabama. And um, we all went down as a caravan from Piedmont and different cars with kids loaded up and baseball equipment. And we got there. We checked into our motel and we went to the baseball complex there as Enterprise, Enterprise, Alabama, where we were. And we went to the baseball complex. And, I, and what Bree and I had decided before we left on the trip to go down was this. Uh, when the tournament is over, we'll just drive on down to Panama City and spend a couple of days, um, and um, we'll enjoy some time, uh, family time down here together. So we get there, and our boys go out on the field, and they're practicing, and Bree and I are sitting there in our chairs up against the fence, and I looked at Bree, and I said, this is a good baseball team. I said, we may be here for a while. And uh, our boys keep practicing, and about that time, the team that we're playing pulls up, the team from Troy. And the team from Troy pulls up on a comfort coach bus, and when they get off the bus, they're all marching off, and they all have matching bat bags, and they all look so good. And I realized this bunch plays together all year round. And Bryson was our biggest player, and their smallest player was bigger than Bryson. And I all of a sudden looked at the team, and I looked at the odds, and I told Bree, I said, you might ought to go ahead and call and get us reservations. We did win a game, though. There was a situation here in our um, text this morning as we look, uh, a little bit of overview of what we're go- where we're going to this morning. There was a situation here with a man named Gideon who had to feel like he was about to face overwhelming odds and great opposition. Um, The book of Judges is where where we find this story. It comes on the heels of the book of Joshua. The nation of Israel has followed Joshua as its leader. They've crossed the Jordan River. They've gone into the land of Canaan, the promised land that that God had promised to Abram. They became Abraham. And they have marched in and they have conquered all of this territory. And they've taken what God has told them they're going to possess. And so in doing so, they become the greatest conquering army that had been known in the world up until that time. Uh, But as we leave the book of Joshua and we get into the book of Judges, over and over you hear this phrase, and the people did what was right in their own eyes. They had forgotten about what God had promised them if they followed his word and didn't go to the left or the right from it. And finally, we get to Judges chapter 6, where it makes this statement that the people did evil in the sight of the Lord. They had completely gone away. And so as a result of this, the nation of Midian becomes Israel's great oppressor. Uh, You'll see that if you go back to Judges chapter 6. And so God allows his people to be temporarily oppressed. Seven years they have been under this oppression from the Midianites. And God has allowed this to happen. They are living in dens and caves, and their harvest is destroyed. They are afraid to even go out 
They're afraid to plant now because they know that the Midianites are going to come in and just take whatever they have. They have grown from being a nation of great conquerors to a nation of cowards. And so we find, beginning in Judges chapter 6, verse 7, we find the angel of the Lord coming and speaking to a man named Gideon. And Gideon is, he is just like the rest of the nation of Israel. When the angel finds him, he is underneath in a wine press, threshing out his harvest and, and, and trying to do it in a way that the, the people who oppose them won't see him and he won't have to worry about them taking what he has grown. And so the angel of the Lord comes to him, and here's what we know about Gideon. Gideon was the least in his family, and his family was the least in the, in, of all the people. But the angel of the Lord comes to him, and what does he call Gideon? A mighty warrior. He says, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior, and you're going to do great things. Now, we know that there's a series of events where Gideon puts out a fleece. He has great doubts. He, he's, he's surprised by the angel coming to see him. He seeks a sign from God by putting out a fleece. He understands that God has appointed him for this time. And so Gideon follows God's instruction through the angel of the Lord. And Gideon is now prepared to lead what will become a very tiny army of great heroes in our scripture. Um, and we'll look now at why Gideon chose those, uh, why God chose Gideon's 300. They're going up against an army that the scholars that I read behind say could have been as many as 135,000 people that they're going into battle against, against the Midianites. But here's what we know about these men. Let's look and begin in verses 1 through 3. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon. The people called him Jeroboam because he had gone in and he had taken down the altars of Baal worship and he had destroyed them. So that is, uh, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill country of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and tremble, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. 22,000 of the people return and 10,000 remain. God is looking here and he's saying, Gideon, you're outnumbered. You have 32,000 people with you. They have 135,000 people. Let's do this. Gideon is expecting the Lord at this point to say, let me miraculously multiply this army. God says to Midian, this army is much too large. And Gideon starts cleaning out his ears and saying, Lord, what, what, what do you mean here? And, and the Lord says, Gideon, this army is too large. If you go and win this battle with this many people, the nation of Israel is going to say, we did this. Listen, I want you to, uh, to begin to pray, pray a vision for our church, pray a vision for your life that is so much bigger than you and so much bigger than us that when it comes to fruition, we can only say, God did this. God did this. It was not in my power or our power. Now, God makes a statement here. He says, whoever is fearful 
Give them the opportunity to go home. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is crippling. Fear will paralyze you. When you live in a state of fear, you're paralyzed and you're crippled and you can't move forward and you can't do anything. You sit there and you are afraid to take a step forward. You're afraid to do anything. And you have lost your faith. Faith is a freeing thing. Faith is, is a weight lifted off of you. And faith is a wonderful place to be in. Adrian Rogers said this, we can either pray in faith or walk in fear. I'd rather pray in faith, hadn't you? Now, courage and faith are friends. The two best friends that we can have as Christians are courage and faith. Courage and faith. Joshua had led the people of Israel across the Jordan River and had taken this land. I want you to understand that Joshua probably had the greatest task in front of him that anybody in all the scriptures have because he replaces the most important person to me in all the Old Testament in Moses, the lawgiver. Joshua has to replace Moses. Can you, can you understand the depth of that? Maybe you've gone into a job before and you had to replace somebody who was really good at that job and was really respected at that job and you had to go in and be their replacement and it was an overwhelming thing because you knew the, the expectations. This is what Joshua faced was even greater. But look what the Lord told Joshua in, in chapter 1. He, he tells him once, he says, be strong and very courageous. And then he says, be strong and of a good courage. He told Joshua, the best that you can do is to be courageous and allow me to do the rest through you. And so Joshua lived a life of courage. David, the psalmist, called us to a place of courage. In Psalm 27, 14, he said, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Now, when we think about courage, are we thinking about waiting? When we think about courage, we're thinking about somebody whose heart is filled with passion and whose heart is overflowing, and they're courageous, and they're marching out ahead of everybody else, and they are doing, they're the leader, and they're doing the great thing that needs to be done. But David here says that sometimes courageous people are the people who wait for the Lord. How many of you have a problem with waiting? I'm an impatient person. I'm an anxious person. I have a problem with waiting. And time after time after time through my journey with the Lord, I've had to stop where I am and realize that I've gotten out in front of, of God and I have to wait on Him or that I'm going to make a mess out of where I'm headed to. So sometimes courage is being able to wait on the Lord. Let's look, what about courage and the life that we live as a Christian? It takes courage to confront Satan. It, it takes courage to, to confront the one who is tempting us. We live in a warfare. Jesus confronted Satan with the word of God. Matthew chapter 4, three different times, Satan misinterprets and twists the word of God, and Jesus comes back behind him and straightens it out and uses the word of God to overcome the one who is tempting him. No scripture, know the word of God. Let it become a part of your daily life and let it become a part of what breathes and lives inside of you, knowing God's word. And when you know God's word, you will have the courage to confront the one who opposes you, who is Satan. 
It takes courage to witness to someone and tell them about Jesus Christ. Think about the first time that you ever shared your life as a Christian with another person. Think about how difficult that may have been for you to do that, to go and to say to someone, this is my story. This is what Jesus Christ has done in my life. This is how I have been changed through the Lord, my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's forgiven me of my sins. I repented of those sins. And this is how my life has changed because of that relationship. Maybe you remember that experience, but here's what I, here's what I know. If you remember that experience, you remember that the second time you did it, it got a little bit easier. And the third time you did it, it got a little bit easier than that. And the more that you have practiced witnessing and sharing the gospel with other people, you have become more courageous because more than likely at some point you have known that witness to lead somebody to, do, to, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. It takes courage as a Christian to do what's right. Now let me give you this comforting piece of advice from your pastor this morning. Let me give you something to comfort you if you're facing a situation where you have to do what's right. Here's what's going to happen after you do what's right. You ready? You're going to be criticized. You're going to be ostracized. You're going to be shunned. You're going to be talked about. You're going to be unwelcome in places. You're going to walk into rooms with people and they're, they're going to stop their conversations. And you know that they stopped their conversation because you were the topic of their conversation. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Do right anyway. Do what's right anyway. If you prayed about it and you have, you have put the time in prayer and you have, you've sought the Lord in the situation and you know that what you're doing is right, be willing to stand and do what's right no matter how, you are, uh, how, how, how it affects you. It takes courage to stand alone. We live in a world where faster and faster we are coming to a place as a Christian where many times you're going to stand alone for your faith in Jesus Christ and for what you believe about the Word of God. Faster and faster we are approaching that place. I'm watching what is happening around the world this morning. You go to um, uh, Google or you go to Twitter and you put in the name Tommy Robinson. Now, I don't know if Tommy is a Christian or not, but I can tell you this, that in, in, in England, in the United Kingdom, he reported on a story that the people were told not to report on. What we declare as the First Amendment rights are being swiftly taken away in the United Kingdom and Australia and in Canada people that we have related to so much in the past. And because of that, he has been put in jail. And here's what those reporters who are left in England are told. If you report on his being put in jail, you will also be put in jail. Now, I want, I want you to think about that as the nation of England where we base so much of what we live and how we exist in our laws in. Uh, that, that's, that's what is happening around the world and here's what I want you to know and understand more and more as a Christian more and more as a Christian what you say and what you believe is going to be more under scrutiny and more under the watchful eye of other people who oppose it and some of you work in places where you're going to be told your faith can't be brought here where, where you work and you can't mix your faith and your work 
It's coming. And you're going to have to realize that you're going to be in a place sometimes in the future where you have to be willing to stand alone. And it's a lonely place. It's a lonely existence. We look at the Old Testament scriptures and we know that two of the strongest men who ever lived, Moses and Elijah, both came to places where they had real conversations with God and asked God, take me out. All these people are opposed to me. Take me out of this life and take me on home. It takes courage to be a Christian, and we need that courage. Our greatest example of courage comes from the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, who on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying in such a way, in an agonizing uh, torment of, of pain, began to pray. Earlier in the Scriptures, we come to a place where Jesus had set his face toward Jerusalem and knew that his fate had been sealed and that he was headed to Jerusalem to be the, sacri- the one and only sacrifice and substitute for all sin, for all mankind. And he knew the torture that he would face. He knew the crucifixion that he would face. But more than that, he knew that for hours, for hours, he would be separated from the presence of God the Father who couldn't look on the sin that he was carrying. And then Jesus, our example, greatest example of courage, prayed to the Father there in Gethsemane and said these words, Not my will, but yours, Lord. Not my will, but, but yours, Father. And so we see that great example of courage. These men, 10,000 men stayed when 22,000 were afraid. Now let me ask you this. If you were a part of 32,000 people, and you're going into a battle, and all of a sudden somebody said, you got to go fight these 135,000 people, 135, people over here, and someone stood in front of this great company of 32,000 and said, anybody who is afraid, you can turn around and go home now. Nobody, nobody's going to say anything about you. Now, probably there was a period of time there for about five, ten minutes where everybody stood like this, looking out of their corner, the corner of their eye, saying, I'm afraid, but I don't want to be the first one. I don't want to be the first one to volunteer to go home because I'm afraid. And then finally, oh, oh Joe... Joe, who had a wife and kids and, and, and all kind of things back at home, he, he finally slipped his hand up and said, I, I'll go. And, and all of a sudden, real quickly, 20, 21,999 others went, hey, I'll go with Joe. Um, if he's going, I'll go. Ask a coach. Ask a coach about this. Quitting is contagious. When one person quits, it's contagious. Everybody else will look and say, well, that person's give up their commitment. That person's give up their obligations. That person's give up the things that they were supposed to be doing. And so they've quit. Well, I've got, hey, I got some things in my mind. I'll just quit with them, and I'll go on. I'll, I'll quit with them. Quitting is contagious. Um, and so when, when one person quit, other people followed. But the courageous stayed behind. The courageous stayed behind. Now, we see that they were courageous. Now we see that they're careful also. Look at verses 6 and 7 and read these words uh, here with me. And I'm going to get some new glasses. That's a promise I'm making you. I've lost so much weight I can't see anymore. 
Forgive me, Lord. Look at verse number 6. And the number of those who lap putting their hands to their mouths. Back, back up to verse number 4 and 5 with me. I'm sorry. But let's, let's, let's get this all here. Um, and the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set him by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped putting their hands to their mouths was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. Now listen. This is a strange test to be in, in, in a, a part of this group. He chooses those who lap water like a dog, and he rejects those who bow down to drink. Now, all of a sudden, God's told Gideon to separate these two people. Don't you think Gideon is, is, is thinking, oh, man, I wish I could get that 9,700, but Gideon knows he's taking the 300. He knows he's taking the smaller group. The majority put their face into the water and drink. Because the majority are more concerned with the water than they are for watching the Midianite army that may be approaching. They're, they're, they're taking their thirst into consideration. Their thirst is more important than the victory. Water is more important than the mission. Sometimes as a Christian... We get caught up in the cares of this world. We get caught up in the anxieties and the worries of this world. Our, our neighbors have a little bit better than us, and so we think we got to have, uh, we got to come up and, and do a little bit better than them. Um, and, and so we get caught up in the cares of this world and what we have and what we don't have, and we miss out on the object of the mission that we're in. We take our minds off of what we've been called to as Christians. Now, 300 people kneel down and lift the water from the stream and pull it up to their mouth. These people are lapping and looking at the same time. They're thirsty. They're just as thirsty as the other people. But watching is more important than the water. They'll go without a drink of water if it means that they'll proceed ahead, and win the victory. Um, I remember it just not long ago when we were doing the project in Jacksonville after the, the storms that came through Jacksonville, and we set up our disaster relief trailer. And we were there, and we, we fed, I think in a few days, we put out over 2,000 meals. And it, was just, it w just went like a well-oiled machine. It just happened. We set up and we unloaded and it just came together. And a man walked up to me and he looked at me, he punked me, poked me in the arm and he said, look around you, what, what, what do you have right here? And I said, you got a bunch of people that are working hard. And he said, you got your water lappers. He said, these are your water lappers. He said, these are the, the, no, he said nobody here cares who gets the credit. 
There's not one boss in this group. There's not one person who's looking for the glory. They all just saw an opportunity to serve, and they came and they set up and they served, and it's just happened. Yesterday, when we worked on the project at the school, I, I, at one point I thought, these are some water lappers. These are people we just showed up, and, and the bicycles were there, and people started grabbing bikes and putting them together, and there wasn't a boss in the room. There wasn't anybody who was, who was uh, it, it just happened. Because people were willing not to be so worried about those things. They were worried about, they were thinking about the mission. And they, this army comes down to this, watching is more important than the water. Now, those of you who've been in the military have probably, can probably say a, a careful soldier is a good soldier. A careful soldier who stays alive is valuable. A, a soldier who doesn't take unnecessary risk and put himself and others in harm sometimes is the better soldier. Get, these men were careful. They were looking ahead to see the enemy. You see, we, these men knew that it was life or death, that even going down and doing something as simple as getting a drink of water was life or death for them. And so they took that very seriously. We know in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells us very plainly that we are in a life and death struggle every day spiritually. He says we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against each other, but we're wrestling against the principalities and powers of the air, the evil that we can't see that seeks to come along and to stop us from advancing the gospel. Our enemy is a, is a smart and strong enemy. Uh, Peter, Simon Peter describes him as a roaring lion going around seeking whom he may devour. Jesus said this about him in John chapter 10, 10. Jesus described himself and said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest or have it more abundantly. Jesus described Satan in this way. He said the enemy has come so that he may steal, kill, and destroy you. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal the joy of your salvation. He wants to bog you down with the cares of this world so much and the, and, and the anxieties and worries of this world so much that you live a fearful, crippled life as a Christian. He wants to kill you. He wants to put you into a lifestyle and a, 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 a place where you actually may physically be taken from this earth. And he wants to destroy your testimony any way that he can. And so these men that are chosen here are those who are watching. They're careful men. And then we see that they were committed men. In verses 8 through 22, let me hit just a few of these verses. Gideon becomes... He, he is a little bit anxious here. And so God tells him that night, he says, Go down against the camp, for I've given it into your hand. But if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So he goes down, he takes his servant, and he goes down, and he listens to one man, tell about a dream that he had, 
And another man interprets that dream to say this. The dream that you've had about our camp being crushed and destroyed is proof that God is with Gideon and that Gideon has already won the battle and that he's going to come in and he's going to take over what is ours. And so it goes on and picking up in verse number 15 it says, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. He worshipped. I want you to get this real clearly right here. Gideon has been anxious. He's been worried. He has had more responsibility than he has ever had in his life. And he has gone down now and he has heard the word of the Lord through these two Midianite men. And instead of rushing back and going back and bragging and saying this, this battle is ours, we've won, he stops here, and this is key, he worships. He worships. I want you to remember that sometimes in the midst of the battle that you're in, sometimes in the midst of what's going on in your life, sometimes in the midst of what seems like overwhelming, insurmountable odds, it is important for you to maintain an attitude of worship. It is important for you to go to the Lord and thank Him for what He has done for you, to thank you, thank Him for your salvation, to thank you for the day that He has given you and the task that He has put in front of you. Gideon worships. And so it goes on. Gideon divides the 300 men into three companies, 100 people apiece. He puts trumpets into the hands of all of them, empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. When they had just set the watch, they blew the trumpets, smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held their, in their left hands the torches and in their right hand the trumpets to blow. And they cried out a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army, and the army fled as far as Bethshittah Beth, towards Zerah, as far as the border of Abel Mahola, I, I finished all my Hebrew classes in, by Tabak. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. They win this battle. Now here's, here's what we, I, want, I want to see right here. They were committed to Gideon. They were committed to Gideon. They knew that Gideon was following the Lord. And that the Lord had spoke to him. And they were committed to him. They stayed with him when the others left. They didn't fear being a minority. As John will tell us later on in the New Testament. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I want to give you this piece of advice, whether you're 15 or whether you're 75 or 90. 
Surround yourself with good people. Surround yourself with good, committed people who will stay with you through the thick and the thin. More importantly than being committed to Gideon, they were committed to God. God gives them a strange thing to do with these torches and these jars and these trumpets. But here's what they did. They didn't look at Gideon and say, what are we supposed to do with this? This is nonsense. This is crazy. You've, you've, you've got us paired down to 300 people to be sent in and to blow a trumpet and to lose our heads. No. They said, Gideon, you have relied and depended on, on God to this point. You've listened to the voice of God. And as a result of that, we're going to go and do what it is that you say to do. Because, Gideon, we know it's not you. It, it's, it's coming from the mouth of God. And so God gets all the glory. This morning, we use Gideon's name over and over and over. But go back and remember what God told Gideon when he had 32,000. If you win with the 32,000, then the people will think they did it in their own mind. If Gideon had gone in and won with 32,000 people, we wouldn't know this story this morning. We wouldn't know this story of going out against insurmountable odds and winning a victory through our faith and relationship in God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. But we have that opportunity this morning because these, these men who were courageous, careful, and committed did what God asked them to do. Vance Habner said this about Gideon's men. He said, every revival begins with a Gideon's band, a core of effectives, the church within the church. I pray this morning that you're courageous. I pray that you're living a life of faith. I pray this morning that you're careful, that you are a water lapper, that you're looking as you go through the day you're looking for the enemy and how knowing that he wants to seek and devour you and knowing that he wants to stop you. And I pray this morning that you're committed in your relationship with God into moving forward and winning a victory for the Lord Jesus Christ in this life. We have the opportunity to do just that. There was a day and a point in my life where the odds looked insurmountable and overwhelming that I would ever do anything that would be worthwhile in this life. No hope, no direction, nothing going on. But there was a voice that called to me. It was God's Holy Spirit. And God's Holy Spirit spoke into this heart and he pointed me to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, this is your purpose. This is what you're called for. This is your life. Be courageous enough to follow Jesus. Be careful enough to look and not let the enemy trip you up afterwards. And be committed enough to give him a lifetime. And I want to tell you that I'm here this morning because of that evening 
listening and yielding to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Darren is coming this morning to lead us in a time of invitation, a time of worship, a time of reflection. And I want to say to you here this morning, if you are in that place where I was that day, where you are hearing the call of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit speaking into your heart and pointing you to the Lord Jesus Christ, then the day, today is the day Today is the day of salvation. I want you, when we begin this invitation, I want you to leave where you are and come here. And I want to be able to share with you through Scripture how to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and know that you will be with Him for eternity. If you're here this morning and you are a believer and you've yet to follow in baptism as Jesus commanded us, then this morning would be a wonderful opportunity. If you're here this morning, and you've seen the ministries of this church, and you want to be a part of this fellowship and, and plug in and be a partner with a group of people who are trying to reach a community for Christ, then this is a perfect time for you. Maybe you want to pray where you are, and maybe you want to come to these altars that are open for you to pray. Whatever it is you need to do, this is the time for you to make those decisions. As we stand, Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment. I pray that people would be obedient to your Holy Spirit and move and follow him. Lord, if you're pointing people to Jesus, I pray that everyone here who is a believer, who is a follower of Jesus, would cry out to you from their heart and pray for those who need to come and know Christ. Father, take this moment and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.